Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Questions for Erhard here, so we'll welcome Erhard back to the podium, and we have a microphone on the side there, if you please come and uh, ask your questions. I always have this issue of the microphones being too short. Um, my name is Rena Wass, and thank you so much for providing us with down-to-earth practical information like personally I have never heard before. Um, before I ask my question, I, I just want to mention that, you know, We've had frackers come, uh, well, a couple of years ago we were up against Golden Key Oil that wanted to create energy uh, by way of hydraulic fracking, and with that, putting us at risk on so many levels, including um, bringing, um, putting our water um, in jeopardy, mm-hmm. uh, because fracking is notorious for contaminating water, and living in a drought zone, this is very... Uh, you know, important to us is to be able to provide um, energy without bringing harm to our environment. Um, so what we've, um, Green Sense has got a table at the, you know, as people walk out, and we're asking this Christmas if they would donate to an environmental cause. Just pick one environmental cause and make that part of your Christmas giving and uh, the Jessica Ernst Fund is available, and she is fighting for safe water uh, because her town of Rosebud, the entire water system, was contaminated by mm-hmm. frackers. So thank you if you could do that mm-hmm. or pick up a card. Anyway, my question to you is, have you um, had problems with the government trying to intervene on what you're doing? Like, for example... Alberta Energy Regulator, have they put any roadblocks in front of you? Or uh, the petroleum companies, because I know in Arizona um, a lot of people have solar panels on their roof, but now the energy companies are trying to um, uh, put some roadblocks in, for example, um, create um, extra costs, uh, administration costs, and like that. So can you talk about the uh, the money end of things? Has there been yeah. any problems? <clears throat> okay, not not really in the off-grid section. That's really more of an on-grid issue. So, yeah, basically utility companies, I mean, they're out to make money. I mean, that's why they're in business, right? I mean, and it's really, it's still the most efficient way of, you know, getting electricity. Remember, we all started out with individual power plants. So, so really... We are seeing some places, but overall I have seen that they're actually trying to work towards taking those roadblocks out of the way. I really haven't, but again, because I'm basically dealing with off-grid, I don't really run into much of that. The, the biggest issue we have is actually electrical code coming up. Is um, The equipment that we have available, you can't actually build an approved off-grid system starting January 1st. Again? 
uh, with the new electoral code, the 2015 edition, the, the equipment we have available to us, we can't actually build a legal off-grid system because we don't have equipment that actually will be able to meet all the code requirements. Uh, Terry Shillington. Thank you. I echo uh, Rena's uh, appreciation of your down-to-earth uh, presentation. Uh, an interesting question was asked at our table, namely this. Um, when computers first came out, you know, they were as big as a house. And uh, now you can put them in your pocket. Um, how do you anticipate the technology of those uh, reflector panels going in the, year, in the years to come? And Are you talking about the, the solar modules themselves? I'm or? talking about those panels uh, that, where you know, you know, uh, that stretch for feet and miles. Uh, do you anticipate them developing more generating power from smaller panels? And okay, basically right now, if we're talking about the solar modules which, you know, are these guys, is right now they're probably running around 15% or so. So there's going to be definitely room for improvement, but it's slow improvement over the years. But the issue we still have is we're having to collect energy, so there's only so much energy available in that amount of space. So no matter how efficient your conversion is going to be, you know, we're not really dealing with technology like we are with computers. Really, most of your costs, as you saw in the analysis here, really ended up being your storage and your racking. Like, really, we're getting to the point where the solar modules themselves are getting to be the smallest part. So that's one aspect of the whole thing, is we need actually a large area to actually get that amount of energy. So even if we had 100% efficiency here, all you would do is get one-sixth the size of the array. Okay, that's your theoretical limit because the maximum that we normally get is 1,000 watts per square meter. You know, like you, you know, you're not going to get burned unless you're out in the sun for a long time. You get a little lighter or a candle, you put your hand over it, you get burned real fast. Okay, so look at what, how much energy is in some that you're burning compared to what you're collecting. Hi, my <coughs> name is Klaus Jericho. I was overwhelmed by your practical honesty. Uh, but I like to come back to the. You had it listed there, lifestyle. Lifestyle. Uh, we are all accustomed to our lifestyle, and um, I decided I was going to use as little energy in my home as possible. So I just turned lights off, just turned them off. <laughs> Especially if you're in the room which you're not going to occupy, just turn the lights off. So I reduced my consumption by half. Uh, maybe that is a better way to go than this engineering type. Have you got any comments on just the amount of energy we think we need? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why we always look at, you know, kind of, it's, it's one of the slides, and I probably skipped over kind of fairly fast, is uh, basically that's the biggest problem. We use far too much energy, so, and we don't need to use that much energy. So, lights is one aspect. The other, when you're going off-grid, what you actually want to do is use the energy as it's coming in. Rather than actually storing in the batteries and taking back out, you have efficiency losses through that process. Okay, so what you're going to start doing is you actually, if you look at it as an overall, in, uh, in the first part of the morning is when you want to be doing a bulk part of your charging for your batteries. 
especially if it's a sunny day, by the time you hit noon, you're going to have extra power available that you can't use for charging batteries. So that's the best time to actually use it, say, for doing laundry, doing cooking. You know, don't do your cooking after the sun goes down. Actually do it ahead of time. Do preparations during the day when the sun's shining. And that actually helps it as well and against things like the design of the uh, heating system and so on. Hi. Uh, thanks for coming down. Uh, I was a little bit worried last night when I saw the weather forecast up in your area, but uh, we made it. Uh, my question is relates to uh, AC, DC power. Like, uh, would we, way, we, we would be way better off if we had DC rather than AC, would we not? Yes and no. Um, the yes part of it is you'd skip out on the conversion part of it. The no part of it is where you're going to get the stuff to do it with. Okay, is uh, you can get some 12 volt stuff, and I tried at the beginning. I tried having just a 12 volt thing and not having the inverters going. And you know what? We're running 90 95% efficiency on the inverters, anyways. It's got to be going, anyways. So, unless you're actually able to run everything, which we just don't have the equipment to. And again, if you can get it, again, we're looking at price, right? Which, again, that's everybody's going to look at that. Is where you're going to get the equipment to do this and how much it's going to cost. And so we come down to, you know, we'll put a little bit of extra solar on. That'll take care of the inverter. Uh, a little bit of extra storage, maybe. And uh, overall, in terms of price, that's usually where you're, you know, you're actually ahead. But yes, theoretically, if we were to go totally DC, that would be more efficient. If you had a generator, then you have to, you know, convert a generator, have actually a DC generator. So it'll actually, that'll do the conversion to DC and then... But again, it's generally your DC stuff is going to be, we normally run 48-volt systems. It's going to be a lot harder to get stuff. Hi, my name's David Major. <clears throat> I have a couple of questions, if I may. They're both short. One is, have you had a, a chance to get any experience with the Tesla battery that they're advertising? Yeah, actually, I've looked at that. Uh, the Tesla battery is not really made for off-grid. It's really made for on-grid. And it's really designed to kind of basically be able to discharge charge quickly. It'll only work with certain inverters. It's a much higher voltage than we normally run off-grid. It's lithium-ion, which you, there's more of an issue with charging lithium-ions. They also, if it's basically below freezing, you don't charge them. Uh, they lose a lot more capacity, I believe, too, when they get colder. So there's definitely lithium issues uh, related to both the way that they operate. Plus, like, say, for example, their 10-kilowatt um, pack there that they have is in an off-grid system, you'd probably need 10 of those. I, I'm thinking of people like myself and others in this room that have, they might be close to net zero on the year, but are still on the grid. And so that leads me to my next question. Do you have any comments to make about transmission, distribution, and local access fees and how the government could possibly rearrange things in such a way that would make solar a little more appealing to, like, city dwellers? Yeah, yeah, there is. And at that point, uh, you know, some people may have to have steel-toed boots on when I answer that question. 
Um, it's <laughs> basically your uh, distribution network. Initially, you know, we just paid on a per kilowatt hour basis. So all your transmission generation administration was all rolled into one. Okay, so what I typically hear now, it's like, well, it's so much free electricity, but there's all these extra charges. Well, all they've done is kind of, you know, showed you how it's been actually distributed between the various aspects of it. So, so if we look at it two ways, one, if we look at it from the consumer point of view, is I want to be able to generate my own power and basically it not cost me anything over the year, then yes, we would have to have a different rate structure to be able to do that. Now, in terms of the overall, this is where you got to wear your steel-toed boots, is uh, the companies have to actually make a living at this. So they've put money into a distribution network. They have employees working. Um, all these people have to get paid. So where's the money going to come from in order to pay for all these people? So you're either going to have to go through taxes to get that money. You're going to have to go have the business charge more some other way. You know, somehow or other, they've got to cover their costs because business never pays for anything. It always gets back to you in the cost of goods and services. Government never pays for anything because you pay for it in taxes, plus in all of these, the people who are working to implement all these things. So you're paying for a bureaucracy plus that. So that's probably not the answer you wanted. But uh, that is, you know, really what we're looking for. So if we're looking at it as a society saying, yes, we want to, go and move forward with this, yes, then we would need to go and have a different rate structure where we basically roll everything back into one and we now only have a kilowatt hour charge for each unit of energy and it gets divided out in the background and we're going to pay for it some other way or we keep going the way that we are. So it's really going to be a matter of you know what are the people going to decide as far as what they want to do. So, you know, it's, like I say, it's, it's a more complex issue because the grid has to be paid for, the whole infrastructure and the maintenance of it. Okay, I'm Sherry Mandel. I'm from Warner. Uh, my question is, I think I read on one of your slides that the batteries last for about 15 years. Yeah, it depends on if your good ones will last about 15 years if you take care of them and charge them properly. Okay, what about the panels? The panels, uh, I mean, the original one's still on the moon. I think that was put up there in 1970. Uh, so basically your panels, they kind of figure that about 40 to 50 years. Uh, I mean, you probably always get some power out of them, but it depreciates. So generally your panels or the solar modules will have a warranty on them that after 25 years you're still going to have 80 percent output and so they won't deteriorate quite that fast but so my question is how do you dispose of these things that's come up now and so they're starting to now look at introducing recycling for them because now we're at a place where solar modules have been around long enough that we're starting to see end of life issues come mm -hmm. up and so they're looking at ways of recycling because essentially it's going to be glass and silicone and the plastics that are involved in okay, making them. And where are the batteries made? Ba batteries? Yeah. Uh, uh, the, uh, the ones that I normally get are the Rolls ones. They're actually made in Nova Scotia. Okay. okay. And they're about 95% recycled or so. 
So the batteries themselves actually already have quite a high recycle rate. Okay. I spend approximately four, four months every year in Australia, in Perth, um, and there isn't a house where my son lives that doesn't have solar panels, but their big problem is now the age of them is because they are so toxic, what they do with them. Yeah, and that's where the recycling is going to have to come in, and that's I've seen some articles related to that. But at what cost? Well, again, it, that's what I just said before, right? It's like it's always going to be at what cost who's going to pay for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's why all the price of everything is going to have to keep going up because we need to continue to you know, address that issue. What's the cost of doing all these various things? Mm-hmm. My name is Van Christou. Um, thank you for your presentation. I um, have heard a lot and read a lot about the the emergence of the hydrogen era, uh, where we'll be moving on to producing hydrogen rather than having batteries and doing things the way we're doing nowadays. Um, have you any information on the efficiency? Uh, it's old technology. Uh, hydrogen being produced by electricity has been has been used for decades, and uh, it's not—it's it's, nothing—it's uh, not space science. Um, but do you have any information on the efficiency of uh, of trans- transferring uh, power that you get so- from solar or wind uh, to hydrogen rather than to batteries? Okay. No, I don't have any information on it in of itself. I know there is uh, getting to be a lot more. I'll say money being spent on the whole because people really start really starting to realize, and this is mainly for the uh, the grid ties stuff, is uh, in order to put a lot of energy into the grid from renewables, you need storage. So that's kind of what everybody is kind of really working on right now, is they're putting a lot of money into storage system, uh, researching what can work, what doesn't work. So, yeah, I mean, hydrogen is one aspect, uh, you know, like splitting, uh, basically, of oxygen and uh, that kind of thing. So there's there's that going on. I mean, in a, in a lead-acid battery, we do it all the time, is uh, when you're charging, is uh, you have H2O, which is water. So you got one hydrogen uh, and two oxygens on it. So we're constantly, you know, going both ways. So... It's been around, like you say, a long time. It's just, you know, which way are you going to do it and what technology you're going to use, how safe is the technology, and that kind of thing. Douglas Mitchell. I just uh, hate to endorse what my friend Klaus Jericho said, but he was talking about turning off the lights. I just recollect two winters during the Second World War in Scotland in a little remote area where there was no electricity to begin with, and uh, we survived. And I think one of the things, and and I think Klaus is alluding to that, is that we do lots of things. You did mention the drying rack, that there's lots of things we could do to reduce our dependence on electricity. Mm -hmm. My question really, though, somebody did mention what our government's going to do. And I think, do you have any indication at all that our provincial government and now our federal government may be doing something to subsidize or give us some incentives for going this route. 
and I, I, I appreciate your uh, braveness in, in coming out here and, and dampening our enthusiasm for solar heat. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I do tend to be a lot more realistic, I think, than most of the others. I'd make a very poor salesman at times uh, because I only sell what I believe in. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, I think probably both the provincial and federal governments are probably going to be doing more because uh, that's really in their platforms as far as doing it. And, again, it's, as we've mentioned, I think it is going to drive up the cost of things. So it's going to be this balancing thing. Is yes, we want to do something for the environment. So I think we are going to see some stuff. I haven't really seen anything on a provincial level. Like Basically, I always see the wind being mentioned. And I think what she's talking about is probably big wind. I'm not sure how much they're going to be doing as far as individuals, like in which is normally what we're concerned about, is are we going to get something like Ontario, where they're, I think when they started out, they would pay you something like 85 cents a kilowatt hour. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, that's quite a premium to what it costs. But again, that's probably why they're paying so much for electricity now or some other way to actually you know, pay for those rebates. So, you know, it kind of comes down to it when we look at it, right? If we have everybody in the room here and, all right, so we all pool our money and five people will go and put solar system on, then the other 95% are paying for them. Now, if we all want to go solar and we want to have a subsidy, where does that subsidy come from if everybody's going to pull out of it? Okay, so it works on a small scale. It doesn't work if you're trying to do it for everybody because we're paying the bureaucrats who are going to give it back to us, and we're giving them lots of money to have that job. Thank you for your presentation. I'm Mary Shillington, and there's two of us here from Environment Leftbridge. Uh, our executive director uh, is here. And uh, we're interested in solar. I have a subcommittee for that. So that's the city area. So if I wanted to put uh, a couple, some panels on my roof uh, uh, and, and tie into the grid, I realize you're doing off-the-grid uh, information, yeah. but what would be the advantage and the cost for me if I was to put some panels on, uh, on our roof uh, and, and put that into the, into the grid? Actually, I think Mark did a presentation on that about a year ago. Um, so really... It, Right now, I think when, we, when you're doing a grid tie system, it's actually not bad because you have the microgen regulation, which basically means that they have to take your power. Less than 10 kilowatts is really straightforward. And, you know, in terms of most people look at, if you're looking at it from monetary payback, it's like, you know, if you're going to live there for a while, you know, it'll probably work itself out, especially because electricity is going to keep going up. So, basically, it's going to be looking at what your local regulations are and getting it on there, seeing if your roof is suitable for it, which, you know, if you're going to go on your roof, which is what most people think of when it's private. But generally, it's like it's fairly straightforward just doing a straight grid tie. Hi, my name is Peter Beal, and I'm, I'm thinking about... Uh, the efficiency of the appliances and things used. Yeah. Like, for instance, I just switched to LED light bulbs, yeah. and my $500 big fixture, I mean 500-watt big fixture, went down to 95. Yeah. So on lights we can do that, but 
what about other things, let's say like fridges? And, are there efficiency being built into other things like that? Yeah, that basically, make- um, like you mentioned, like the heating system is the one I normally tackle most of all because I find that for the most part, the heating system is where the biggest problem is, especially if you have outdoor reset heating. And basically, outdoor reset heating is designed to go and run your, if you have a boiler system, you actually run it 24-7, and you reduce the temperature going into your floor, so it'll just match the heat loss of the house. Now you're using a lot more electricity to actually go and drive those pumps, and you're probably even saving in the gas. And that's a problem with, that we have with the normal hydronic designer. That's why I actually got my hydronic designer certification, because we ran into that in the off-grid. We'd you know, specify, okay, you need a really energy-efficient system. We get an outdoor reset system, and now we've got to put $40,000 extra worth of solar on it in order to go and run these pumps 24-7. So, and then, again, you get into stuff like your fridges. Um, you know, you can get stuff that's like a kilowatt hour a day now where it used to be two or three. Uh, that's probably the main things. Uh, go to a laptop instead of a you know, full-size one. You probably reduce your power consumption by probably 80% or more. My name is Cosmos Vucinas. Uh, today I have witnessed the most honest marketing in my life. Thank you. Um, my question is, do you have inverters distributed where you supply the DC power, or there is a central inverter? How, what is the capacity and cost? Okay, so inverters are rated normally in kilowatt hours. So the, uh, the one slide I had up there where I showed the inverters, there's four of them. Each one of those was 3.6 kilowatts. So if you take a normal house with a, um, with a 100 amp service on it, okay, so you go 100 times 240, so that's 24 kilowatts theoretically you have available to you. Okay, generally when we do off-grid systems, we're running like 4 to 14 kilowatts. So we, we don't have 100 amp services. Okay, so you're getting into quite a cost. You know, if you look at each inverter, like that power panel... That inverse system with all the breakers and everything there, you're probably running close to 20 grand on that. Yeah. You know, so like you're running into pretty heavy duty, um, you know, costs when you're doing this. So that's why, you know, we keep bursting bubbles when we actually start getting into nitty gritty of this. And the, the inverters can take the starting power of motors? Yes. They do that. And again, some inverters will do better than others. Mm-hmm. Like the original one, I had a Trace 5500-watt inverter. I had a, just a miter saw that took 50 amps. Well, it tripped out the miter saw. And by that point, I already had an Outback 2500 hooked up, and it didn't blink an eye. Okay, so it depends on that. But, yeah, they do have surge capacities. Yeah, this would be the last speaker. Hi, I'm Bev Mendel-Atherstone. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, thank you very much for your talk. My husband and I uh, are still on grid, but we have 24 solar panels. And um, <clears throat> we've had it for two years. Um, this year we're making a lot more electricity than last year. Yeah. Um, with... <clears throat> With the increasing sunlight, with less rain in this area, we're seeing an increase in our solar production. Um, so I want to ask your, your opinion. We'd really like to get a, 
a solar-powered car, in other words, electric, electric yes. car, but powered from our own solar system. Yeah. You, had, you showed that one slide in which your car yes. <clears throat> was being powered by about 24 panels. Um, I'm just wondering how, how long, you know, how, how much time would it take to um, produce the electricity to power the car from your experience? That would depend on, first of all, if you're driving a Tesla or a Mitsubishi, and uh, because there's a big difference in the amount of energy that is stored in their batteries. And, uh, and so basically, if you're on grid, it really doesn't matter because you're actually kind of drawn from the grid. So what you're going to be doing is during the day, you're probably going to have extra generation capacity that you're going to put back in. You're going to be drawn in at night. So, so if you're driving during the day, you're charging at night, you're actually having to go and pay for your transmission charge as well as your consumption coming back in. Uh, in terms of time, I think uh, depending on the chargers, like if uh, you can get the, uh, on this Mitsubishi, for example, if you just went with the, um, the slowest charge rate, I believe it would take um, 16 hours. Then the next charge rate, I think, was eight hours, and then you get up to bigger chargers that will do it in two or four hours, and then you get the really heavy-duty chargers. So, so it really depends. But if you draw it really quickly, a solar array is not going to produce that much power anyways at that point. So you're going to be, even if it's bright sunlight, you're still going to be drawn in at that point if you've got the heavy-duty charger. If we don't have a heavy-duty charger, can we just can we charge it on our own during the day from our solar array, 24 panels? Well, if you're grid-tied, it's basically a T-intersection. So, so essentially, depending on how much you're using in your house and uh, how much the solar is producing at that point, it's either going to be incoming or outgoing. So it really depends on the weather at that point. It's not so much on what your total production is it really depends on the weather during the day depends on what you're actually drawing and what else is actually drawing during that time as well so it's it's not really a simple answer as much as I'd like to give you one it's uh, it's going to depend on a number of factors okay well thank you very much Herhard, for coming down to giving us this time.